I think we can be capable of getting this thing underway. Let's, uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for our care for it. We'd ask that you would continue to inform us of you, your son, the life we have in the faith. We'd ask that you would uh, keep us ever growing. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Last week, it was Valentine's Day, and uh, I preached a sermon vaguely about love, but I was, uh, you know, applying it to something else out of Matthew 13 about the parable of the sower, how people's hearts have grown dull, and they need to understand with their hearts and their hearts was, were what you attended to. And I was in a, a conversation later that day with a young lady. Uh, we had some people over for dinner, and a young lady asked me about something. I think it was the sermon. She asked me. It's not a, a, a person who attends here. And... Uh, asked me about it, and I described love to her that way with the famous line from Lord Chesterfield, I've never known a man to be inattentive to the man he feared or the woman he loved. You know, that, that attention, attentiveness is almost, you could even say it's a synonym for love, care anyway. And that we pursue God with attention and care. And those that, that parable was one that said, to them that have would more be given. Those that pursued God, those that attend to God, God gives more of the fruit and the benefit of that attention. Those that do not, they be just become more and more ignorant. And it's their fault. It's not God's fault, it's their fault. They don't know how God works. God responds to attention. I don't know why she left me. Well, what was that? Oh, I, that that country song. Put another, throw another log on the fire. About the uh, the husband singing it about all the things he's asking his wife to do: cook him up some bacon and some beans, uh, go out to the woodpile, chop some wood, come in, do this, that, and the other thing, and throw another log on the fire. And, Tell me why you're leaving me. Well, we don't often understand that it makes very good sense for those that are not loved to leave. People leave for other reasons, but God will certainly leave you for an absence of your love because you did not seek him. Now, that was on my mind a week ago talking about it in the morning at church, talking about it in the evening at, over, over dinner. So it was on my mind, and then I got some emails regarding the same thing. And I wanted to... It's, it's so central, it's so ignored, it's so undefined, it's so not even processed... 
Um, if you were at the uh, um, uh, pipe night reading last semester, was it last semester or earlier this semester? What a it's last semester. We read through the Charles Williams All Hallows Eve. Now you remember those of you who were there and those of you who weren't but who've read the book or those who plan to read the book, that the false teacher, the warlock, the criminal, the, the fiend, is a teacher. And someone asked, what did he teach? Well, he spoke of love. We know what religion looks like, right? And there's always some false teacher that comes through town, like Evan, talking about love. Because love is so, nobody has a grip, right? Is it a feeling? Is it an action? We always could hide our lack of obedience under our lack of understanding about what love is. Well, how do you, I mean, really, how do you know if you're really loving? I, I, I had to tell him off. I mean, it's, it's the most loving thing I could do. I had to punch him in the face because it's the most loving thing. I, I had to do it because of love. You know? we, we don't know what we're... We like it that way, though. We don't want to have love, which is center to the new covenant in Christ about how you are good and holy to be understandable. And we think that Christianity is divided between two bad worlds, okay? You got to sort of choose which kind of bad you want to be. One is freedom, which means profligacy and the ability to use the word profligate, wild living, carousing. Those are the kind of churches my, my wife's band played at a sports bar in Lewiston Friday night. There were some people who claimed Jesus Christ, not from our set, not even from our town, who were there drinking too much and acting inappropriately. They were the kind of Christians who thought freedom and freedom to them, and whenever you hear the word antinomian, someone against the law, means irreligion, right? It's irreligious. You don't have to do stuff because you're free, so you don't have to do stuff. And in their mind, not having to do stuff is not doing stuff. It's a slight shift in the sentence. Not having to do stuff is not doing stuff. Did your mom ever say to you, well, I, I'd like you to clean your room today, but you don't have to if you don't want to. What's going to happen to the room? Nothing. Because if I don't have to, why in heaven's name would I? That's the notion of freedom. Christians who take the free, they, they become free in their theology. They can think, think any sort of nonsense they want. Free in their ecclesiastical behavior. They're jumping pews and waving ribbons over their head. Free in their morality, because who's really to say sexual immorality is wrong? Because we're free in Christ. There are all sorts of varieties of it. And then people go, what is that? What? You're generally people my age. What? 
Get him. And they blow their cheeks out, and they go, this is why we have to have some rules, because if we don't have rules for the youth group, there are going to be babies aplenty. People, unmarried, knocking each other up. So they start to become doctrinaire, legalistic, orthodox, God bless them. Priestcraft, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep hold of the magic. You can't get the magic of the church unless you submit to the rules of the church. Membership. We don't, let's be clear, all souls Christian, you know you did never join this church and you do not appear on anything but maybe Evan and Leslie's phone list. You are members of Jesus Christ. Act like it. Well, so we're, we're in that camp of new covenant freedom. But people think that those are the two choices. If they say antinomian, and I am antinomian, that means against the law. Nomos, law, anti, against. They think you're irreligious and wicked. You're just looking for an excuse to be irreligious and wicked. Other people who like righteousness, clerical collars, robes. Nothing wrong with robes or clerical collars. I had one person beg me to wear one. Can you imagine? All Souls Christian Church and the vicar shimmering in on a Sunday morning with a little collar. You'd feel so, so Christian. It, it really reassure you in your faith. I'm not doing it because it would really reassure you in your faith. And it should not be in that. Now, consequently, since this is a hiding a, a false dichotomy, hiding your disobedience in a false dichotomy, it is wrong to be a legalist, it is wrong to be wicked. Okay? Let's get that straight. Those aren't the two options. They are two paths people take, but they're both wicked. For freedom, Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the book of Galatians, this is chapter 5. Paul has been beating the Galatians around the head and shoulders with their being wooed back to being legalists under the Jewish law. He says, you, but you were called to freedom. Hang on to that. That is where you have to say, do not, do not go back to the slavery that is righteousness through the standards of the church. You must affirm that. You know, just like it says in Romans 6, how can you who have died to sin still live in? How are you supposed to, with the... Uh, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. You must. Sorry. Stand fast, therefore. You have been set free. This is not a um, um, a imperative. It's an indicative. You have been set free. And it's for this reason that you would be free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But you say, but, but I thought that the, that choice wasn't good because won't I just be 
sending up a storm. <coughs> I can't trust myself. A church can't trust me. I can't trust myself. Now I, Paul, say to you that if, I re if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. This is, Paul gets a little, the elbows start getting thrown in the first half of this chapter. He starts saying, you, you want to consider yourself a Christian? If you're in the kind of church that is submitting again to a yoke of slavery, Christ is of no advantage to you. It's not just merely they deny like some liberal church or some um, uh, apostate group, something true about Jesus. This is the truth of what Christianity is, freedom. And if you go back to the law for your sanctification, Christ is of no advantage. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is bound to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ you who'd be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. He's put, putting the, it's not just a hand in the middle of your back pushing you down. It's in, the, it's, it's in your chest. It's saying, you've fallen away. You have been severed from. You have no advantage in your Christianity. And you can see that. You've seen people get all legalistic and religious. Not saying this isn't a religion, because there is a God, and you have to do something about it. We're trying to find out what is this religion. It's not just Hinduism with Jesus' terms in it. It's not just Stoicism. It's not just something else with a priestcraft added to it. It's this, freedom. But looking for righteousness. Because most people who teach antinomianism, people who say, you're set free, you can go dancing, you can drink more than you probably should, you can, you know, drugs are really okay, in Washington anyway. Everybody's just running around saying, if, it's, if the church said I couldn't do it, almost like I should do it. No, that's not what we're looking at. Or first, we've got to say what it is. It is about freedom. It isn't in the camp of being under the law. For through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Okay? So you have to say, the whole reason you're here on this boat is not so you get some sort of, you know, stamp. You paid your cover charge in Christ, and they stamp the back of your hands. You can go in and out and show, yeah, I paid earlier. It's not a bar. I've decided I don't like the lifestyle of bars having been in one till way too late Friday night. We're waiting for the hope of righteousness. But just because this isn't serving drinks, coffee and cinnamon rolls, great, but it doesn't make you wild and, and wicked. But we ought to be, even when we're not being, you know, doing disapprovable things, we're waiting for the hope of righteousness. It has to be through the Spirit, by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. Okay? Now, the Christian life, if you meditate on last week's sermon, and I hope you do to some degree, where you say, okay, I'm going to dodge this anymore. 
Christian life is righteousness by faith working through love. Do I know what I'm talking about when I say that? And this is where you can slip into meaningless, oh, he's talking about love. Oh, I can trust this church. They're, they're all about love, and nobody knows what that means. You know, there's a lot of hugging, a lot of just sweet fellowship. I despise that. Now, but we're, we are about love. We're called Christ, Christianity, for heaven's sake. It's about love, faith working through love. You don't get to cloud it under some sort of emotional ephemera that you, you just enjoy that because it makes you... Die. I'm not in a, one of those dark, dictatorial churches that, you know, both white supremacy or male supremacy or whatever. Um, you're going to run away from that. You're going to run... It's some people will pick up liberalism and love. Some people will pick up evangelicalism and love. And nobody really knows... They just want, that's sort of a tag that says, oh, we're about love. But you, you can't get away with that. you got to know what this is. And I think you do. I don't think, you know, Western civilization has been just really confused for 2,000 years about love. Everybody knows what it is. It's just sort of an inside, you know, game we're playing that let's all pretend we don't know what we're talking about. We'll get to that in a moment. You say, hold it, what? You mean this is all a game we're playing? Yeah, because we don't want to obey our God. We don't want to have actual love get in the way. So let's talk about it as if it were something we didn't quite understand, but it just made us feel good about the pastor who said it. Look at that. I centered these things over the next uh, five verses or so, six verses. Paul's just elbows are going out at this point. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He's writing to the Galatians because the Galatians, who he had spent time with, they were Gentile Christians. Some Jewish Christians came up and were just saying, oh, no, you got it all wrong. you got to keep the Ten Commandments. You know that. Well, might as well keep the circumcision law, too, and the food laws as well. Because righteousness, man, righteousness, it's keeping the rules. And they were confused. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The first insult is, you're not in the truth. If you do this, Christ is of no advantage. You are severed. You've fallen away. Fallen away into greater religion. You know people who have fallen away from Christ into greater religion. And it wasn't even some apostate religion. It really is confusing. They fall into some of the most conservative orthodox bits of legalism. Who hindered you? How did you get to this place? Well, one of it, we don't talk about the new covenant. Well, this is Christianity, the new covenant. Everyone knows God in the new covenant. Everyone has been converted by grace through faith. What does he say next? Verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. One of my favorite verses. I've only been able to use it a few times, but it's a great... These are passages to memorize and know what they're about so that when you hear some dear Christian starting to talk about, of course, you know, I've really uh, been considering, um, um, you know, Moses about the uh, food laws or the, uh, 
uh, whatever. You know, fine, if you want to do that. But no, it's, I, I think it really improves anybody's walk with the Lord. Say, now, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. You could, you know, a Jewish Christian at the time could keep the food laws. But they had to realize the Gentiles didn't have to. It wasn't Christianity. It was, it was practice, what they wanted to do. John lived differently than Jesus. Make some personal choices, but if you think Christianity is in those things, real righteousness in those things, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Feel free to use that line. And the person will look at you like, what? that sounds familiar, what's that from? Well, it's from St. Paul condemning the ideas you hold. A little leaven, verse 9, Leaven's the whole lump. That's something you know. No, it's not. You don't get to be a little bit pregnant. You're all the way pregnant. And if you're under the law, if you take a little thing, circumcision or, you know, whatever the uh, preferred obedience to the law, as the law, it leavens the whole lump. Verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. He's leaning into it. He's had such a ministry with the Galatians. He has to call them idiots earlier in the book. Oh, you idios, Galatians. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, you're now ending with the flesh. Our Christianity, first of all, is freedom to be free. Not freedom to sin, but freedom to be free. And then finding righteousness by faith through love. That's what the covenant is. We're supposed to take no other view. We're supposed to be walking through our lives with a variety of different standards. Some of you don't drink. Some of you do. Some of you... Um, I don't know what else you could, kind of hard to think of rules. I would have, I'm so unfamiliar with rules. Skirts of an appropriate length. Some of people are, are, you know, they dress like prairie muffins and they, they are. I mean, that's their culture. Cool with that. Others go, no, I'd like to look cute. We have different, different views. We hold this one view that we've been set free. And you have no other view than Paul's on this. And that he who is troubling you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. There's somebody out there in Galatia talking to the Christians, maybe talking very sensibly to the deeper walk club, the guys who want holiness, the rugged, the robust. And they get together like on a Thursday or something and, and study the word and get more committed to obedience to the rules that they see in the scriptures by good and necessary consequence. And that's troubling because you're supposed to be righteous by faith through love, not rigor of devotion, severity to the body, self-abasement. That's quoting the scripture there. Verse 11 
But if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. You know what happens? People like the perks that being efficiently religious, having the priestcraft and the rules float above your organization enough <clears throat> that you'll look like the world's version of a religion. This is not the world's version of a religion. This is the God's version of a religion. This is what he wants out of his creation. He wants you free from law, and he wants you free from sin. How did he do it? By conversion. I've been in a number of discussions recently. People claimed evangelical Christianity, denying even the, you know, the phenomena of conversion. Regeneration. You know the phrase, born again? You've heard of that one? We know it's real because Jimmy Cotta said it. Born again. Born from above, it says in John 3. This is why conversion is necessary because you know what happens when regular people decide that, that uh, they want to have some religion. There are people who don't want the rules, they just want to sin more. And, and there are people who do want the rules and they just are really difficult. God gave us something else. He converted our souls. The stumbling block of the cross what it does to you when you bow the knee, when you bow the knee to Jesus Christ, your nature is converted. And what you're able to realize, I hope, is that in that, nat that nature shift, recognizing where it is, what happened to you? And it really happened to you over the centerpiece called love because you already knew what it was. And you were loving up a storm. Just your whole life was run on it. You knew exactly what it was. Remember the quote by Chesterfield at the beginning? I've never known a man to be inattentive to the man he feared or the woman he loved. Yet oddly enough, we're called to both fear and love our God. And if you did, Lord Chesterfield, a prophet, one of their own, I don't believe he's a Christian, was wise to understand that affects one thing absolutely, how much attention you pay. And you knew that. You knew that the whole time. Because you know what? All the sin in the world. Why is that? Because you love yourself. How you do that? We'll pay a whole bunch of attention to me and what I want. That's what I'm doing. I know what it is. To pay attention to. Who do I listen to? Who do I favor? Who do I serve? Who do I smile when I think about? Have you ever smiled thinking about yourself? I have. Not about you, about me. <laughs> you know, you'd like to think that 
when you think of your beloved spouse, that that a a slight gentlemanly smile would curl your cheek because you love so heavily. You know, ah, what a gal. But really, we're living our lives when we come up in our own minds. You say, well, actually, I'm kind of depressed. Well, that's a different way of loving yourself, but most of us are just fine. That's why the Lord can say, love your neighbor, what? As yourself, because we're pretty, really good at that. You're not having a problem with love, even, not even, you know what it is. You know, if you claim to love a gal or a guy, what it would take to prove to them you did, even if you were faking it. You know what it would take. You pay attention to. Why, yes, what what did the neckbeard say? Well, yes, my lady. And they opened the door. They gesture grandly. Well, because they're attending to, right? They think that awful, awful, awful attendance to is uh, such a great declaration of love. So we know what it is, and we've been doing it every day, almost every moment of every day. I was telling Leslie my dream last night. I didn't understand what it was, and I'm not going to relate it to you, but it was, it was me being confused about my life in a situation that, that just, uh, well, I needed to attend to me in the dream. I was trying to find my way out of an Italian, Italianate, ruined, badly designed uh, home on the coast of the Mediterranean on my motorcycle. <laughs> Leslie had to come to my rescue on a moped. I don't know what that means. But it was about me. You know, Leslie was a you know, background player. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would mutilate themselves. Another great verse for the fridge. <laughs> Cut up yourself. This is because of the you are severed from Christ the circumcision stuff. I mean, he's not, he's not backing away from what's going on. And he says, it's not that I just like mutilating people because they were in the job of performing a physical operation on people. He says, why don't you just cut yourself up? Because this is unsettling. We're worried about this because in a lot of cases, we haven't taught the gospel of Jesus Christ for a long time. We haven't considered it. We have not, even those of us who have believed it, we don't think about it. We make Christianity about all sorts of other things. It is primarily your love for your God and your love for your neighbor. And the path to it by faith, through love, are the righteousness that is acceptable to God. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Verse 13, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So he's saying, be an antinomian, but don't be the carouser. When you're saying, but hold it, antinomians automatically carouse. Well, yeah, unless they're converted. But through love, be servants of one another. What's that say? attend to each other. 
It doesn't mean that I've got to run over to your house and find something to do that would serve you. Well, it might be nice if I did, but... We're not doing a performance thing about servanthood where servanthood is attention. If I have the gold and the guy is waiting for a gift, you give him the gold. But if it's silver and gold, have I none? But what, have I, what I have, I give to you. What I have, I give to you because I'm attending to you. I don't look through the beggar on the street because I don't have money. I attend to him some way. I attend to one another in the body of Christ, one way or another. We do so when we have these you know, quarterly um, Lord's suppers. You bring food for people. You help set up the chairs. You attend to the needs of others. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, there's an interesting addition to the mix because it's exactly what Christ taught in Matthew 22. Oh, it's, my Bible is open to it. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together and one of them, a Lawyer asked him a question to test him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then Paul says, all the law is fulfilled in that commandment. And all it takes is doing something you know how to do. You've done it just fine. You just did it to the wrong person. And you know that that's exactly what you would advise in relationship counsel. You're having problems. Well, all his protestations of love were really just him exercising some attempt to love himself. You've heard that, right? Somebody just pretending to love somebody to, to really get what he wanted himself. We know people fake, but we know what the love is. That's what we fake it with. We attend to. Who are you actually attending to? Because it warns me in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. Because as soon as I shift from service to the other person, attending to them, attending to my God, talking to April about this earlier uh, during the break, um, attending to God. That's that passage in Matthew 13. To you more will be given. We're always gaining if we're attending to this other. Are you really? What's your life look like? You know what your life looks like. You're good at love. The question is, who's getting the attention? It's not the kind of love. It's not the definition of love. That's why it says, and I've said this to you before, when it says in John, first John, um, do not love the world or the things in the world, it uses the word agape. It says, do not agape the world. Too many Christians go, no, agape is the Christian love. No, no, agape is the attentive, actual, 
service, and you may not love the wrong object with it. Don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world this way. But that's what we spend most of our time doing, attending to all the things in the world and not my neighbor. All the things in the world and not my God. If I live that way, I'm consuming. Because actually what I'm attending to is not, oh my gosh, the, the commands of my job, my boss, whatever. It's the my commands of my boss who gives me the money that I want so I can buy the things that I need and value for me. Because once we are attending to ourselves, we bite and devour and consume one another. And that's what the world looks like, right? Doesn't matter whether or not it's modern capitalism or stupid socialism or some sort of mercantilism or some sort of barter and trade. It doesn't matter. There's no saintly way around this. People are serving and attending to themselves. And God converts us by faith to fulfill his care for the world by us attending to our neighbor, us attending to our God. We listen to it. We understand it. We give it whatever we have to give it. We don't give it certain things because that's what love is. No, we just attend. And when we're kind and when we're patient and we're forbearing, we, got, we all sorts of choices about what, how I could attend to them. But if I attend to them, I'm doing it. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. You ever stop and think about that? This was actually the verse that jumped out to my mind when I was thinking about last week's sermon. I've always liked this verse because it says, you know, it gives you the three parts of man in this verse. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. The flesh, the spirit, and the mind. What you would, your decision generation, <coughs> listening to your flesh going, hey, I want that. No, give me another cinnamon roll. Now. Because I'm attending to me. Your spirit is saying something else. And your spirit, I've been playing with this, and this is a proposal. This is not some biblical authority thing, but it might fit. Your spirit, where your spirit is, is what you love. Because you will love. You will attend. You can't not attend. You will attend. And what you love is your spirit. And your spirit either agrees with your flesh, because I want that other cinnamon roll. There's one more cinnamon roll. It's mine. And your spirit says, yeah, it is, because I love me. So the, your, your, your mind goes, okay. You start negotiating through the crowd. You see that cinnamon roll at a 10-foot distance. Somebody else maybe have had the same thought, but you're trying to juke them out to make sure that you, they don't get to that last cinnamon roll, and you get to it because you want to bite and devour and consume But when you become a Christian... Your spirit, by conversion, is renewed. The fruit of the spirit is love. 
it changes. Not that love is there. The shift in love, everyone knows this kind of love. It shifts who's in my windshield, who's in front of me, who gets the attention. And so when my spirit says, you know, so-and-so looks like he didn't get a cinnamon roll. Yeah. If you, if your attention level is less about what you want, you didn't look into your wants and your urges and say, those are the things that I must measure and attend to, have the highest ordinate placement for. But somebody else's does. You then inform your mind, he said, to keep you from doing what you would, these two desire sources, flesh and spirit, against your body's always just going to want what you want, right? It's going to want the woman you want, it's going to want the food you want, the french fries that that guy has. I need to have his, you know, whatever the physical desires are. But your spiritual desires, if they're of God, if, they have, if you've passed from death to life, you've been moved into the place where God's love poured out to you. You understand the otherness. You're not alone. You are in, in, surrounded by other. The great thing about the church is that we, of all sorts of human groups, we're far more able to recognize the other in our presence for no other reason. And God gave us them as others. We've recognized the God, my goodness, a massive otherness has to be accounted for. If you try to stop thinking about God, you know, good luck with that. It's that pink elephant in the room, pay no attention, don't think about pink elephants. Somehow Christians manage to not think about God. But those two things are to keep you from doing what you would. You're trying to make decisions, but you as a Christian have the decision about where your love is arguing for. Now, you could still sit as a Christian. I don't believe that you can. I'm not saying you could. Like, it's a, it's a blessing. I'm not blessing your sin. Stop it. But um, you can, um, you're able to sin for whatever other reason. A moment of self-love deciding not inordinately othering the other person in a sense that, well, but Father, I love her. He's making stupid, sinful decisions, but she's not a Christian. But Father, I love her. I'm going to marry her. Okay? You can sin in all sorts of attentiveness to other, but it is love. The person who is able to love and be othered the sinfulness comes in that they don't love God. They will not obey what he wants because they're not by faith, through love, bringing the righteousness of God. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, says verse 18. Now the works of the flesh are plain, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension. Put your hand, I see that hand. As I reach past your number on the list. Sorcery. Anybody? 
selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I witnessed some people who claim to be Christians, drunk and carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a matter of your ultimate destination, whether or not you got this attentive love figured out. What do I attend myself to? What do, do I just want to have enough religion of the rules variety that I can claim that the God is pleased? Or do I just want the kind of freedom and you know loosey-goosey, hippie Christianity that, that says a lot of things but still sins, disobeys? God. If I end up living this way, if I have these things in my life, and believe me, it doesn't matter whether or not. Have you noticed that some of the most conservative, faithful, orthodox, dogmatic end up found in bed with a pool boy? Or they find out what grotesque sin. How did they, how'd they do that? I thought, Religion really worked. And of course, the people who are antinomians, <laughs> sin's automatic there. But we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be antinomians with a cause. Antinomians because we love our God. Antinomians because we love our neighbor. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That you know that you came to life through this. By faith, you came to a new life in the spirit. Now it's how you perambulate. I've been waiting for years to be able to use that word in a sentence in a sermon. Perambulate. You walk by the spirit. We're not, we don't have two groups. We don't have, oh, I get saved by grace through faith. I live my Christian life towards sanctification by keeping the rules. No, I live by faith. I walk by faith. I live by the Spirit. I walk by the Spirit. It's the same thing. This is a different kind of religion. It changes the nature that we have, the, the love direction we're capable of uh, expressing. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit, let us have no self-conceit, no provoking of one another, no envy of one another. He's letting you know that if you take on as tenuous or, or a placeholding as this is a definition for you, saying, oh, this, I don't know about Evan and his attentive love, but well, you know perfectly well you're not that you're not loving when you are self-conceited. You are loving yourself when you're self-conceited. 
It's self-conceit. It's envy of one another because you matter to you more than the other guy matters to you. You provoke other people because you matter more than they matter. Our conversion is supposed to bring us to a knowledge that I make that choice directly. It's not a matter of, let's just say, you choose who you're going to love. Because you already know what it is. You already know how to do it. Have it at the bottom. Love is not news. Not you is news. That's what Christianity is about. Everybody knows what we're doing here. We just don't want to do it for other people. Or our God. Because I feel real motivated to think all the time about how I'm going to get ahead in the world. You know, you ought to think about your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Because that's kind of what Jesus said. You choose... And if you've bowed the knee, the Spirit of God enables that love in you, in your spirit, to bear witness to that. I should be thinking about my God. I should be thinking about my neighbor. I know God is for that, and I'm not dodging the task by pretending I don't know what I'm up to. We know what we're up to. Don't provoke one another. Don't be self-conceited. Don't envy. Give yourself to others. Just thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for love. We're grateful that you gave us the capacity to address not ourselves in this. Help us look to the others in our lives, in our actual relationships that we have and must keep loving our children, our spouses, loving our friends, loving our fellow parishioners in the body, loving our parishioners, the people in Christ who are not part of our body, loving our enemies, Lord, that we'd learn to look upon them, to understand them, to give them the care of being attended to. Or we got a lot of stuff to catch up on. Thank you very much. In your son's name, amen.